Welcome to the Red Letter Disciple. Today, we got an awesome episode. My co-host, Chris Johnson, is going to be joining me in studio in just a couple of minutes. And we've got a great guest, David Douglas, on the show today. Our hope and goal with this podcast, our mission is that you would be challenged, inspired to be a greater follower of Jesus, wherever it might be that you are. Because when we all do this, how amazing, we'll give the world a fuller, greater, and truer expression of who Jesus is. And that's going to be what changes the world, Christ in us. David's a great guest today. He went from a postal worker to a recovery specialist. He went from an adopted child to discovering at 60 years old, he got a lot of siblings that he never knew about. And he's going to help us today learn how to help those in addiction. What do we do? How do we not be cynical towards some of these issues going on today. So really awesome episode. Couldn't do without our sponsor today. We're sponsored by Red Letter Living. Um, This is our company that puts podcasts like this together and also loads of other resources to help churches and individuals grow in their faith. Today, I want to tell you, uh, we have created a free, we call it the super simple, easily doable five-step guide to growing your small groups. If you're a pastor or church leader, you know the importance of relationship and connecting in small groups. And, and and so we want to provide this resource to you. We've actually had the privilege to help grow small groups in about 800 or more churches now. And I'll tell you, it seems like it's daunting. It seems like it's really hard, but it's not. This is a time-tested strategy. It's really easy to do. It does take time. It does take a little work, but it absolutely is can happen. We can grow your small groups in 40 days by more than 40%. And so, hey, if you want to grab that free resource, again, it's the super simple, easily doable five-step guide to grow your small groups. Go to freeredlettergift.com. Again, go to freeredlettergift.com and that is our gift to you. And I hope that small groups at your church just blossom and grow as people grow in their relationship with one another and with God. Hey, if you like the podcast, if it's helpful or challenging or inspirational, whatever it might be, if it's good for you, will you do us a favor and will you give us a five-star rating on whatever platform? Will you leave a review and then will you share it on social media and with someone that you think could use this episode? All right, without further ado, further ado? Yeah, without further ado, let's do this. Chris, on the show today, we've got a really good friend of mine. I'm excited. It's David Douglas going to be joining us today. David is, yeah, a friend. Uh, He's someone that I got to know uh, as I pastored the cross in Mount Dora, Florida, and is someone that really challenged and inspired me. He, He was a postal worker for decades and then all of a sudden started leading a recovery ministry, a recovery program in Lake County, Florida called Hand in Hand. And since then, he's he's come up with a beautiful program called Grit, God Relationships in Integrity and Truth, and even wrote a book on it. Well, this guy's awesome. He's yep. got a great story. I'm excited to dive Zach, into it. I'm excited to know that you have more than one friend. <laughs> well, there you go. So welcome to the show. David Douglas, everybody. Let's go, Dave Douglas. Thank right you there. very much. My pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you. And here's the thing about Dave. He is actually getting ready right after this to go on an Alaskan cruise. Hmm. Did you know that? For no. three weeks. And so right. he's spending an hour with us before he literally goes <clears throat> and enjoys God's beautiful creation up in Alaska. So wait a second. You you're, you live in Orlando. You fly from Orlando to what? Like Anchorage? And then you you take the boat around there? What's What happens? I'm, I'm in Vancouver right now. 
Oh. And then we jump on a ship in Vancouver and cruise for a couple days, then hit inland and then off to another cruise and we're multiple just, cruises. We're gonna see it all. Yeah. So you're gonna see some whales or two. Yeah. Some whales, stuff like that. Absolutely. You know? There we go. The, the audience feels real sorry for you that you have to yeah. uh, go through this day. Exactly. Um, so, but I hope yeah. you have an awesome time, but thankful that you're here today. So I, I want to know, first off, like, tell us what hand in hand does, like, what, what are you doing with hand in hand ministries in Lake County? So hand in hand is uh, currently an organization where uh, we have long-term in-house faith-based addiction recovery facilities. Uh, men and women who financially otherwise couldn't find recovery come to live with us for approximately a year. Wow. Uh, they work on their recovery. We have programming for them to go through. They earn their keep with us. They earn their recovery by helping us with social enterprise to keep money coming in. And we're just trying to give an opportunity to those who truly want to make a change. So I have a question for you, Dave, because recovery, you know, Zach and I are both pastors and uh, uh, addiction is, I would say, not only in the church, one of the toughest things that you have to deal with because it's there's no like microwave solution. It's a very intense process. And then the other frustrating side to it is that you can be clean for three or four years you have a bad night and boom you're back to day one um so how what made you say i want to be a part of some process that's so intense that has such a low success rate at times like i, I whenever i have to deal with it i bang my head against <laughs> the the table like, it's so tough what you do dave what led well, you to this yeah, and you're correct. It, the statistics in recovery are are not great, uh, but what we're trying to do is uh, attack this from a different direction. Is most people are looking at the symptoms, which is the alcohol abuse, the drug abuse, the food abuse, the sex abuse, all of those things, and they're just symptoms of an underlying problem. So until we start finding what that underlying problem is and give them a safe place to address those issues and walk through them, uh, we're not really solving the problem. Uh, once you have given them that opportunity and they've walked through it, well, that's great for today, but something in the future is going to trigger that emotion, that trauma, that bad feeling when they're having a bad day. And that's when we find relapse. But right. adding the faith piece to it is having that constant contact with God. Even if you do slip up one day, how soon can you catch that yeah. before what, you destroyed everything again? But what drove you to do this, Dave? Well, you know, people might be surprised, but uh, I walked the line of addiction uh, for many decades. Um, I abused alcohol, and 
I didn't have anybody there to, to point that out to me because I hadn't hit bottom. I didn't lose my job. I didn't go to jail. I didn't lose my driver's license. I was walking that fine line, but it would have only taken a slight breeze to blow me over into hitting rock bottom. Mm. And yeah. I am very much aware of that when I'm talking to the men and women uh, that we're trying to help with recovery. Yeah. I love that. And I think that, you know, part of your story, a lot of people's stories is the things that at one point were a struggle for us. It's amazing in God's economy, how God flips it. And that, that becomes how we then help others. Right. I think I've read before and said before that the greatest therapists are the ones that at one time went through therapy. The greatest addiction counselors are the ones that at one point were addicted in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's always encouraging when we hear people's stories of the things that enemy went meant to destroy uh, how you're now using to bring freedom to others is a really amazing thing. And, and, and I love how personal it is for, for you. And so. Absolutely. And I love people. Most yeah. of Time. Most, Most of the time. time. Yeah. Being being that it's personal for you, though, would you suggest the career route of a postal <laughs> worker to addiction recovery? Like, okay, you just gotta you just gotta share like how you made that change and that switch. And did uh, being with the postal service for so long lead to addiction? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, uh, actually, the postal service has a very high rate of addiction uh, yeah. issues. Yeah. And uh, along with police and fire, uh, mm. EMTs, a lot of people don't realize that uh, it's the stress that comes along with that job. And, and you wouldn't think that being a mailman is all that stressful, but it can be at times. Sure. Um, there's not a whole lot of job satisfaction in that job. You get a pile of mail, you take it out and you deliver it. You come back, there's another pile of mail. It's never done. It's never yeah. done. I, I will tell you, though, to interrupt real quick, sometimes as a pastor, that kind of sounds appealing. Here's a stack <laughs> of mail. Go deliver it. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. Then go well, on. Anyway, go on. Go, home, go fishing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this all got started uh, as I was attending uh, your church, the cross in Mount Dora, and you were preaching a sermon series called All In. Uh, I, I'll never forget that day. You were asking for people to come up front if they needed prayer, and I joined you up front, and there was a young man that came up, and he was living in the hotel next door with his family, and he just felt like a failure. Mm. Um, he couldn't hold down a full-time job. He couldn't pay his bills. He couldn't feed his family well. He's stuck in this uh, motel living situation and I was challenged to start uh, meeting him for coffee an hour a week and we kind of started working on this uh, roadmap of recovery uh, something that I learned through Stephen ministry training uh, as we worked with this individual um, we got him out of the hotel. We got him a full-time job. We got him, there was a car donated. And, you know, of course, 
Zach asked me, is there, can you teach other people how to do this? And I said, absolutely not. But, <laughs> <laughs> but God had another plan. And we just formed a small group there at the church called Hand in Hand. And we started doing outreach in the community. And next thing I know, I find myself sitting in the woods with a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken at a homeless camp, wondering how I got there. <laughs> and wow. so, again, Zach challenged me, knew I was uh, coming up on a period where I could retire from my job at the post office. And he said, why don't we start a nonprofit and see what more we can do here in the community? And again, I said, absolutely not. But God had a different plan. And <laughs> it became very apparent, very clear that uh, this is what I was supposed to do. Um, God didn't um, allow me to go through the things that I went through in my life for me not to use those Mm. Uh, to help other people. So that's so, kind of the story of how we got started. So Dave, how many people you mentioned, or Zach mentioned, I think it was you that mentioned in the open that you have a men's house and a, a women's house, right? We, um, correct. We currently have four houses with a total of 48 beds. Oh, wow. 48 beds. Okay. And, and so the, what happens just because, um, you see so many people that relapse in, in what you do. And I know you've had some amazing success stories, but somebody gets into the process, right? And a couple months in, they decide to take off. Like, can they come back to the program or how does that work? Yeah, that's definitely on a, on a case by case uh, situation. Yeah. You know, the, the question to ask when they come back is what's different this time. <laughs> Because ah. what we have, what we found out is um, we don't have any bars on the windows. There's no guards at the door. Mm -hmm. If you don't want what we have to offer, it's not going to work. Right. So sometimes they, they get scared and they take off and they want to try it one more time. I've got yeah. this now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what they find is they get back out there in the real world. And because they've been introduced to Jesus, it's not as much fun as it used to be to go out and hang with the same people and be involved in their addiction. Well, the, the reason come back, the reason that I asked that is because I had somebody, you know, addiction hits so many families. It's not just, yeah. of course, a church problem. I like, I think I read one in three families have, you know, are, are wrestling with addiction and you would know better than me. But the point is I had this one guy who was a really good friend and I didn't know that he had an addiction problem until it was too late until his wife had already kicked him out until he had already been fired from his job. And I drove him to, um, a, um, what do they call it? Like a cleanup, uh, like a dry out place. Yeah. And we're waiting in line and he's thanking me the whole time. And we're waiting in line for like 30 minutes and he just takes off. He like runs, runs away. And, and a few days later, like I chase him, but a few days later, like he got 
intoxicated and he got hit by a car and I'm at the hospital. And he's like, next time I'm telling you, we are going to go through it. I take him back to the same rehab place. And like two weeks later, he checks out. And I, I was just like, oh my gosh, Dave Douglas has the toughest job and <laughs> all in America. Like that, but I know that you've had amazing success stories too. Right. And, and that's kind of maybe what keeps you going in this world, this cynical world that says, okay, maybe 15, 20% of these people might actually recover. I'm sure you've got some victories that uh, God has presented to you in, in hand in hand. Right. And, and, you know, can we help one person? Mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of a a deal I made with God in the beginning of this, right, is just let me help one person. Well, he has a much bigger plan than that. Um, We have been able to help one person and two and 10 and 20 and 50 um, just because of the, the, the different way that we're approaching this. So many people ask, what, what's our success rate, especially we're in a program where they're with us for a year. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, what's, what's God's success rate with me? How would I, how would he look at that? Yeah. Yes. I'm much better than I was two decades ago, but have I reached success? And what we try to concentrate on is a retention rate. Mm. We run between 70 and 75% retention rate in our program for the entire year. They graduate, they move on, but it's taken us almost a decade to get to a point where we're having those types of statistics. Those are amazing numbers in such a difficult field. I do. I do have a follow-up question to something you said earlier, Dave. You said that for years you kind of walked the line to maybe being addicted or not. And I think one thing that's tough about addiction is that it's like, how do you know if you are addicted? You know, like maybe you're the person who comes home after work and you have a couple glasses of wine, or maybe you're the guy on the weekend who, you know, watches the football game and and gets intoxicated. Like, how does somebody know, or how do you assess that with a family member where you can have a real conversation and say, this might be a real problem? When, when it starts taking more than it's giving. Okay. Right. Um, The best way that I'm able to explain addiction to people today is we're now all addicted to our cell phone. (laughs) When we first bought a cell phone, it served a purpose, right? It was for us to be able to be mobile and stay connected. And then they added the internet and now we can get our emails and Mm. keep everything moving along because God forbid, if we're not connected for 30 seconds or so, and then now we find ourselves that we can't go to the bathroom without it. You know, Hey, I got some downtime while I'm in there in the bathroom. So yeah, <laughs> let's exactly. take my cell phone and let's right. go to Facebook. When do you play Candy Crush? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, you know, when I go to speak to, to groups of people, I'll ask somebody in the audience, give me your cell phone. And I take it and I act as though I'm going to walk out of the room. And then I come back in and I ask them, so how did you feel when I took that phone away? 
well, I wasn't sure you were going to bring it back. And how was I going to make it through the day? And did I need to go to the phone store and get right? This is how you know that you're addicted. And we were all addicted to something. And maybe it's just as as simple as a cell phone. Mm. So in your story, did you feel like it ever got to the place where it it was taking more than giving or what, 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 what made you, cause I heard you say that, yeah, it would be a light breeze that potentially could knock you over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. what, what was it that kept you from getting knocked over before, uh, it came and I'm assuming maybe you use the words and I, I know I've heard them functioning alcoholic, um, that I think there's sure. a lot of functioning alcoholics that probably are, <laughs> uh, in, in fact addicted, but what, what was it for you that kept you f- when you, when you're so close to going over the edge, was there something that happened in your story that kept you from falling over? Yeah. Dumb luck. Honestly. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I hate to say that only by the grace of God did I survive all of that. Um, getting pulled over when I was drinking, mm. um, I didn't get pulled over. Mm. You know, I think in the, in the, in the long run is, is God had a plan for all of this. And as I uh, started putting hand in hand together, um, I had to ask myself some tough questions, right? Uh, What did taking a drink of alcohol ever do good for me? Yeah. Nothing. I thought I was having fun. I thought I was joining the party. I thought it made me more relaxed. But can I do that without alcohol? You seem pretty relaxed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm on vacation. That's why I'm relaxed. <laughs> you should see me at work. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I want to get to another part of your story here soon, but a, a couple of quick pieces. You know, I heard heard the taking more than giving. Mm. And so the way I've kind of described sometimes things like cell phones Mm. and things that we can be addicted to, even sex abuse. I know that you've dealt with that at the program as well Is some of these are God's gifts to us and they, they're terrific servants, but they're terrible masters. And any time that, you know, God gives us these gifts, but we over overuse them or, or like you said, we're taking more than giving, they, they, they turn from servant into master and they actually start owning us. And so, um, in that field, I've got just a couple quick more questions. I do want to, are there steps that we can take? Chris hinted at it earlier, but I want to press in a little bit more, uh, to not be so cynical. Cause I, I know I can be that way when mm-hmm. it comes to addiction and helping. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's really, easy for me to say it probably won't matter they're probably going to like how do i guard my own heart to fight against cynicism how do you do that in, in your profession you know that's a that's a really good question um we live in a cynical world yeah and what what is causing that especially in the the arena of addiction is people are saying, well, at least I didn't do what that person did, right? I'm better than them because I, I only got a DUI. I I didn't lose my job. So I'm not as bad as them. Comparison's a rascal. (laughs) Correct. 
right? We're, we're in a world where we compare everything. We have all these statistics and, and how do I rate success? And it, it, it puts a lot of pressure on us. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a lot of people that I deal with on a, on a day-to-day basis that think that an addict should just quit and get a job, (laughs) right? Just quit and get a job. You'll be fine. Come on. Well, okay. Well, let me take that person, that cynical person, and let's talk about your issues. What is it that's, that's, that you're, is in your life that's taking more than it's giving? Mm. So I, I have to understand that not everybody's going to see it the same way that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I have a huge battle with the, with our government right now, who's throwing billions of dollars at this recovery problem that we're having this addiction problem that we're having in our country. But yet a person like me for hand in hand can't get any of that money because we won't use medically assisted treatment. Mm. Right. So now maybe I'm coming to the cynical side. Because <laughs> I don't agree with, right. Let me tell you how to get off drugs. I'm going to give you drugs. <laughs> in what world does that make sense? All right. Right. You want to get off drugs? Let me introduce you to this person, this friend of mine called Jesus. Yeah. Let, let's talk about getting back to your original design. Let's not be so worried about all of the things that you did while you were controlled by that addiction. Let's start talking about what you're going to do because the people in your life that love you and care about you, all they want is for you to be better. Mm-hmm. Mm. But the person that's that's been addicted and has maybe stolen from them or, you know, abused them in some way, they think that they'll never be able to make up for that. And the loved ones just want them to be better. So cynical runs the full circle in all of that. Gotcha. So I think I I heard a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I I heard that how we have to stop comparing. Uh, I think that's such a huge issue. Zach does that with me a lot. (laughs) And I, I've recently got, I compare a lot. I've recently got him to kind of cool off. I appreciate your words there, but stop comparing. And then I I think I heard in there too, of looking a lot of places, look at someone else's story, uh, look at your own issues. And then I, I heard you as well, look to Jesus. And like, when I look at Jesus, I've been spending a lot of time in the last week specifically writing on how, thank God Jesus wasn't cynical for us and how he cared for the one, right? He, he left the 99 to find the one. He befriends this Samaritan woman at the well that can offer him nothing. He seeks out this chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, in a foreign town for no reason. A wee little man. He friends the thief on the cross. That is like he just has this amazing ability and availability uh, to be there for the one. And and so I think that's so critical. One more question on on this piece, and then I want to flip to another piece of your story because I, I get this a lot. And I want to know when it comes to addiction, it's really hard to know how to help, mm. when to help. True. And so 
can you talk about how we help when we help? And also mm -hmm. like, is there a place in time when helping hurts? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that is so true that there's actually a book out there called when helping hurts. Um, and it's, and it's a very good read. I, I have to take all of this back to when I started going on mission trips and um, I was challenged to go on a mission trip to, to Haiti. And I thought, man, we've been sending uh, missionaries down here for decades and nothing seems to be getting any better. This is the poorest country in the Western hemisphere, right? Well, you know, send me down there. I'll show them how to fix everything. Right. <clears throat> well, you know, then I get there and I, I find people who, uh, by our standards, are happier with nothing than I am with everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So where's the change in, in, in heart for me? Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. 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 I remember doing the same thing in Panama. We get down there to go build homes and all the kids are like, they don't even have a soccer ball to play with. And, you know, we've got our high school kids down there that they don't, they can't get phone coverage and, you know, they're <laughs> depressed because they can. And these kids are kicking around like a deflated soccer ball and all of them are smiling and laughing and hugging. And I'm like, what are we doing wrong? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ab absolutely. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, right back to that comparison thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Uh, as a pastor, like, I think one of the things that I, I love so much about your story is, uh, and I see where hand in hand is today with four recovery homes, almost 50 men and women it's helping at any given time through a year long program, which is insane and incredible. Mm. Uh, but it didn't start there. And, and here's why, like, I knew there was something in you because uh, you came up to pray with that man and then you started meeting with him weekly. And I didn't even know that you were doing this probably till six months after you were doing it. <laughs> and after you came up and said that, I was like, I thought that's incredible. And, and so uh, anyone that's willing to take on someone like that uh, is, and, and you were, is someone that as a pastor, I wanted to throw my full, full weight and full support into. And so it's really cool to see it go from, I was helping a person to then we formed a small group that helped a few people uh, to then we looked in the community, not to force anything, but just how, how can we be a, a blessing to our community through your gifts? And then it became a home and then two homes, three homes, four homes. And, and yeah, it is hard. And there's people that, <laughs> that relapse, uh, but it's so fulfilling and rewarding even just to get the one. And uh, so I love that. I want to pivot to a, a crazy part of your story, <laughs> probably the wildest part of your story. Uh, so you can explain it, but the way I kind of interpret it is that you reluctantly spit on a swab uh, to find out more about, someone wanted you to find out more about your family or if there was any more family in your background and you kind of reluctantly did it. And you found some stuff. Just go from there and, and tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> and this is well, why we don't. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I might have found a thing or two. <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely not what I was expecting. Um, I, I was adopted at birth, and uh, the world tells us uh, as adoptees that we're 
uh, special, lucky, and chosen. Um, I, I think they're trying to make us feel better, right? Um, I was chosen because at some point I was not chosen. Mm. So I should be lucky and now I'm special because of that. Um, and then we're also told by society that we should be uh, grateful because we're, we're one of the lucky ones. We were adopted into a family and we didn't grow up in an orphanage and uh, we weren't shipped from home to home. Uh, and all of that is very true. I feel very uh, lucky in that circumstance. So my wife had uh, actually, one of my daughters did a, a DNA test and it turned up as a second cousin that she didn't know about. So this was early on in DNA mapping. And my wife said, well, it, it's probably a mistake. I'll, I'll just take a test myself. So she did. And it came up as a first cousin for her. Well, it turns out that uh, one of her aunts had a child and gave it up for adoption. And some of the older relatives knew about it, but nobody ever spoke about it. Right. And back in the day, five, six decades ago, nobody talked about this stuff. It's over. It happened. Move on. So we, we actually went and met that cousin. Um, and in that meeting, speaking with him and telling him a little bit about my story uh, at 60 years old, is I didn't want to know what I didn't want to know. I didn't want to find out my father was Charles Manson. I didn't want to find <laughs> out that I was the product of rape, as many people have found now doing the DNA mapping. And... Uh, he gave me a piece of advice. He said that uh, make sure if you start your search, make sure you know who you are, because what you're going to find is biological information. It does not change who God made you to be. Mm, and I thought, wow, that that's some really good advice. Um, so then my wife bought me a DNA kit. And I sat and stared at it uh, at my computer at work for about three weeks. And I started thinking, well, I was told that my biological mother and father were in their mid thirties when I was born. I was then 60 years old. So they'd be in their late nineties. They're probably passed away. I won't have to deal with that. Maybe I'll get to see a picture. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I submitted the DNA and it took us about six months to really trace this down. And then one of my uh, brothers, as it turns out, um, took a DNA test. Yeah. And all of a sudden it pops up on my um, DNA site that I have a close relative. So I got in touch with this brother and he said, look, none of this makes any sense to me. I, there's a period, there's a very small period in there where you could fit, but, <laughs> but huh. I can't believe that I wouldn't know about it. So he said, I'll do some research and see what I can find out. 
So two days later, he called me back and he said, well, I'm sure you haven't slept in a couple of days. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm kind of curious at this point. And he said, well, I got some information for you. He said, how you doing, brother? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was I, just saying it right now it makes the hair stand up on yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, he asked me what information I knew, and, and I, I, I told him a little bit of the backstory, what I thought I knew. And he said, yeah, you're, you're right. You have three half-siblings. He said, but what you need to know is there's no halves in this family. Oh. He said, our mom was, uh, in 1958, was a widow with three young children, and she got pregnant with me. Um, again, not married, 1958, mm -hmm. a different time, sure. a lot of family pressure. She was told that if she didn't make me go away, the family was going to take custody of her other three children. Wow. So she had to make a tough choice. Yeah. yeah. And she went to uh, live with her sister for a little while, uh, gave birth to me, never held me, didn't know whether I was a boy or a girl, and gave me up for adoption and came back and told anybody that knew that she was pregnant, including my father, that I had died at birth. Wow. Then 60 years later, <laughs> DNA mapping turns up me. Hmm. So as I'm talking to, to my, the brother that I connected with, um, you know, I said, well, you know, what can you tell me about my mom? And he said, well, she's alive and well. I'm like, um, what? He's like, yeah, she was 22 when she had you. So she was 82 years old at the time of, of us finding each other. Yeah. And I said, well, what about my dad? Do you know anything about that? And he said, yeah. Um, your dad raised me. He's like, your mom and dad got married 30 days after you were born, and they went on to have four more children. Wow. Crazy. So I went from a half-hour conversation of being an only child right, right. Uh, with deceased parents to having a mom, a dad, and seven siblings. How long ago was that, Dave? That was a little over three years ago. Okay, so I assume then you had a family reunion. <laughs> Boy, did we. Where are they located at, Dave? They are in northwestern Illinois. Okay. And uh, we went up there for a family reunion. There's over 100 of them within 15 oh. minutes of each wow. other. And everyone was very welcoming. There was not one negative person. Um, you know, it, not knowing what to do. Um, I'm I'm thrilled to death with with what God has given me and and the timing of all of this. Uh, but I wish I'd had more information 
on how to have those introductions with family questions to ask yeah uh, giving it time to breathe and grow mm. um, god gave us covid right after all of this happened so it gave us two years to kind of sit on the information and really work thing through things to where uh, mom and I were finally able to sit down and have some real conversation. Yeah. Well, that, that was going to be my question. What was mom's reaction to all this? Yeah. Mom was not thrilled as you can imagine uh, that her 60 year secret had been exposed. Yeah. yeah. And now having to tell her husband mm -hmm. that his firstborn child that he thought died at birth mm -hmm. did not die. Yeah, that's going to be an uncomfortable dinner right there. Yeah. It's like, hey, I'm 85 years old and I need to pass out cigars because I just had a child. <laughs> By the way, he's 60. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a story, Dave. Dave, did that, I could imagine that there is a mixed bag of emotions like sure. never before. Did that talk, talk us through? Did that bring closure to this? Was it frustrating to know, like, I missed out on this life of what it seems like on the outside? Uh, a seemingly happy family that stuck together. And uh, I've heard you say a lot of them followed Jesus. Like, or is it gratitude of now I know who they are and forming new relationships and this is a cool new adventure. Like what, yeah, what, what's your kind of couple years into it now? What are the thoughts? Did it bring closure or how are you doing with all of it? Yeah, all of those emotions. Um, <laughs> I have, I think the best thing that I did was I started writing all of this down we teach our men and women in recovery to journal mm. because thinking it is one thing, writing it down is another thing uh, really helps you put your thoughts together, uh, which this is turned into a book that's going to be coming out this fall. Um, my whole adoption story, I'm hoping that it will help other people on that journey and how to navigate all of that. I think we need to do a better job of helping them. That's cool. Look at him turning another thing wow. that was hard and helping others. That's the heart of Dave. Amazing. Cool. Keep going. Yeah, you were going to say something else. Yeah, uh, all of this boiled down to, um, okay, mom had seven other children and me right in the middle. I could be mad, right? Yeah. I, I have a good reason to be mad. Sure. What, what about me? Mm -hmm. right. right. But uh, us being able to sit down and, and have that conversation, mom and I both would tell you at this point that, you know, I know God, it wasn't his original plan, mm -hmm. but I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And had I not gone down that path, there may not be hand in hand today. Mm -hmm. And I probably wouldn't have the heart that I that I have the and the love for Jesus. The question I had to ask myself was, um, if I was 22 years old, a widow with three children, and pregnant out of wedlock in 1958, 
would I have made a better decision? <laughs> mm-hmm. And the answer to that is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I probably would have messed it up really bad. I was going to say, yeah, it, it, you, it's really easy to say back in 1958 that you would have made the same decision. <laughs> Who knows? Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. But I could not um, blame my biological mother for any of this. What I had was empathy for her situation and admiration for her carrying that pain all by herself for 60 years. Mm. Now, she didn't want it to come out. Yeah. Right? But she'll tell you today that she's much better off because that information came out. She doesn't have to carry that anymore. It's no different than us going to God and telling him our sins. And we have the option to be able to lay those sins at the feet of Jesus and walk away from them. He'll handle them. He'll take care of them. We don't have to do it anymore. I I'm thinking of on the, on the spot here. So, you know, I don't know how far into the book you are, but I I remember a biblical story of an eighth person that got left out. His name was David uh, in the Bible. And your name's David too. I think that's pretty cool. Um, And I I like that. I I remember a a sermon title and I think there's even a book out there called I am number eight. Um, right. And I think you could write a chapter or something like, no, I really am number eight. <laughs> um, but I think there's a lot of similarities in Old Testament, David, and uh, <laughs> you, David, of, oh, of being left out and being overlooked. And and yet still God saw you and God had having, an anointing on you. Having a girlfriend named Bathsheba. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> oh, that's, that's, no that's, that's Old Testament. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry. But I, I think that that's so powerful that you really are number eight and God had an anointing on you from the beginning. And as hard as it is uh, to be overlooked and to miss out on that, to see God's beauty and all of it is, is pretty cool. So that's going to be a really cool book. Um, I, I think it's su- such a I hear a lot of 23andMe Ancestry.com stories. Yours is the wildest I've ever heard. So um, it's, it's pretty it's cool. wild. God, yeah. God blessed me with that story. Yeah. Right. That's the way I see it today. And, and he didn't give it to me when I was 20, 30, 40 or 50 because I wasn't ready. (laughs) I wasn't ready to handle it correctly. Yeah. All right. We've got, you've got an event coming up called grit fast and I'm going to be there. It's in October, October 21 in Eustis, Florida. That's central Florida. Dave has written a daily devotional for a year called grit and it stands for God, relationship, integrity, and truth. And so, Dave, give me a one minute. Here's what grit stands for. Get you for what it means, and for like the everyday person, how grit can be a part of their life. Absolutely, um, grit is all about us getting back to our original design. This is where we remove ourselves from the sin that's that's in us. If if if, God, if we were made in God's image and God is love, then we were made in the image of love. And everything that we do outside of love is us acting outside of our original design. 
So what can we do in our daily lives to get back to that original design? It's no different than the addiction issues that we've talked about here today. This is where you feel uncomfortable in your addiction because it's outside of your original design mm. and the same with all of the rest of us walking this earth. It's beautiful. Awesome. awesome. Love it. And so we'll put in the show notes uh, a link to not only the grit daily devotional that you're using in your program, but is I think designed really well for, for every single disciple of Jesus. And we'll also put that grit fest event. If there's some people in central Florida that want to come or that want to come in for, it. it's going to be a great, great night. I'm excited to be there. Um, so final question for you, Dave, before I turn it over to Chris, for a little game show with mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. um, we ask every question this particular question because this is a podcast. We you want to challenge. We ask every question this particular question. Did I, did I say that? Well, said. then we don't do that. Scratch <laughs> that. But no, we ask every guest this particular question because uh, we want to challenge disciples. So practically, if you could challenge our audience to do one thing this week, to grow as a disciple of Jesus, what would be your challenge for the, those that are listening? My challenge would be to, for each person to work on one personal issue that you have, one sin in your life that you're dealing with. This is how we get back to our original design, is addressing those issues one by one. It's only overwhelming when we pile them all on top of each other. But let's just work on one today and see if that doesn't draw us back to a point where we can be the disciples we were called to be. Man. That's great. Zach, what do you want to start with? <laughs> uh, maybe the friends I choose. I don't know. Um, the, can you give, so work on one issue. Is there one first step? as we work on it, um, that you would recommend? Self-reflection, right? And instead of um, self-condemnation, just self-reflection. Yeah. Right? What, what is it that I have just been, I've been doing my whole life, I'm guilty of, I have asked for, forgiveness for this sin over and over and over, uh, how I treat others, um, how I perform my job, uh, how I treat my own family, um, how I study the Bible, how much time do I pause during the day to actually sit for a minute and talk to God. Those are all one thing that you can do each of them, right? And getting back to that original design. Yeah, it's great. I love it. So that's what we're going to do this week. If you take that challenge, I want you to hashtag red letter disciple. We're going to work on one issue, one personal issue that we have. We're going to do that by self-reflecting and, and by bringing it out to light, right? And, and sometimes it starts with our self-reflection in our own minds. And the amazing piece about your story, Dave, that I think is true for all of us who are in Christ Jesus, the more we bring that brokenness uh, 
that darkness into the light of Christ, the more God uses that to help others. I see that so much in your story and it's inspiring and always, always challenging for me. And uh, I love it, dude. So, all right, Chris, you're the man. Mr. Douglas, (laughs) we understand that you were once for 35 years, a worker at the United States postal service. This is true. We have developed a brand new game specifically for you called 60 Seconds of USPS Questions. Here we go. Okay. Start the clock now. Okay, go. Dave, I hear all the Postal Service trucks were built in the 80s. How many times did your truck break down? 35. All right. Uh, True or false, the little white trucks do not have air conditioning. That is true. They do not. And are reportedly 15 degrees hotter than the weather outside. At least. Correct. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Question. Did you ever not deliver someone's mail because of a dog? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Did you have a trick to get around menacing animals? Dog biscuits. Okay. (laughs) So you did. The the rumor is true. Like, Carriers will carry dog biz. Okay. Uh, Dave, what's the greatest gift you ever received in the mailbox from a customer in 35 years? Oh, wow. That's a really interesting question. Um, I work on these. Chocolate chip cookies. Is the best gift in 35 years? Absolutely. You know, people can, can... uh, put money in a card. Yes. They can go out and buy something, uh, a new tie or whatever it might be. Uh-huh, but, uh-huh. you know, the chocolate chip cookies, somebody actually took the time to sit down and make. So you're saying your love language was chocolate chip cookies and food? Well, of course, yes. My love language is <laughs> gift cards and words of affirmation. That's all right. Uh, yeah. What's the craziest story you have in 35 years of working USPS? This is will conclude our game show. Oh, you're not going to believe this one. Um, I will. So since we since we talked about addiction, I may have overindulged the night before. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, so I was out on my route and I had pulled off the road, backed in into the woods a little bit uh, back when we had the little small Jeeps and I had laid across the steering wheel and <laughs> taken a short nap. Right. Well, evidently somebody in that neighborhood drove by four or five times and I hadn't moved. So they thought I was dead. So they called the post office to tell Tell them that I was out there and my truck did. Oh, you got to make a delivery. We got one down out here. <laughs> so oh, I, I I went back to work and was out delivering the mail. And my supervisor came pulling up and said, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, why? It's like, well, we got a call that you were dead. And I'm like, no, I'm delivering the mail. Everything's fine. So I said, okay, great. They pulled away. And when I got back in my mail truck and looked in the rearview mirror, I had a steering wheel imprint across <laughs> my forehead. You know, you can't get away with that stuff now, Dave. They've got tracking on all those trucks. I know. I know. You were correct. in the golden days where you could take a nap if you needed to. <laughs> yeah, a little embarrassing, but true story. Oh, that's funny. 
I'm going to issue a second challenge oh. to everybody. And here it is. After hearing the greatest gift in 35 years was a chocolate chip cookie. Yeah. Which, cool, great. We can do better than that. I think everybody treat your postal worker, bless your postal worker this week so that when they're on some podcast 40 years from now and they ask what's the best gift, it's yours this week. That's right. Because we got to treat our postal workers No better. kidding, man. And let's keep the dogs inside. Yeah. Come so on. anyway, Ooh. all right, David Douglas, if people want to connect with you, want to find out about Hand in Hand, uh, anything you got going on, where can people find you these days on the digital space? They can find us at addictionhelp.solutions. Oh, addictionhelp.solutions. There you go. And on our show notes as well, redletterpodcast.com, we will have all the links for all of that, including Dave's Grit book, the Grit Fast event coming up, and Hand in Hand and how to check in with them and see all that they're doing. I want to uh, say it's a privilege, man, to have you on, to hear your story, what you're doing, and and I really believe that what you're doing um, ought to be d- done in many other places. Can I make so, one suggestion yep. though? Can I just make one suggestion? It, Every time you say grit fest, I think that you should have like shrimp and grits fest or something like that. Like there should be some idea. kind of food added to it. Well, you know, like, you may be addicted, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like that. I love idea. It. So anyway, yeah. all right, Dave Douglas. Hey, you go to Alaska, my friend, and enjoy three weeks. Uh, you earned it, and uh, I hope you have an awesome time. God bless, bless Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Great to see you guys. Good to see you. Isn't that a wild story that David told us? Uh, but I love his heart in all of it, and I love how he's taking the things you know, that are of his past and that have been hard for him and actually is using them now to help others. So, hey, if you want to connect with David, if you want to hear about his ministry to hand in hand or get some of the resources, go ahead and go over to redletterpodcast.com. We have show notes for every episode there. You can also see all the old episodes and we would love to give that to you. And so all the links are there. All the resources are redletterpodcast.com. Again, we want to thank our sponsor today. It is Red Letter Living, and we are giving away the easily doable, super simple five-step guide to grow your small groups. And I don't think we're overselling it. We've seen it in 800 or more churches, and we know your church can grow too. And so we took all the time-tested strategies, and we put it into a, a simple PDF for you that we'd love to give you at freeredlettergift.com. All right, next week uh, is the one and the only the greatest mother in the entire world. That's right, Mama Z. Sharon Zender is going to be meeting Chris and I in studio. So it's an honor to have my mom, Sharon, on. Sharon is an aftercare director. And so we ask her, with all of the collective loss of the last few years, especially, like, how do you help someone who is grieving? She's got a, a past and an experience of helping a lot of people. And so she's going to teach us and train us, like, what, what do you say? What do you not say? What do you do? What do you not do? Uh, plus, she might just like let you know the truth about how I, Zach Sender, was as a child. So if you want that, it's coming next week. So don't miss it. Subscribe or follow on your favorite platform. And we'll be back on the Red Letter Disciple in one week. A Huda Media Production.